Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. We all have them, failures, and we all need them, confessions. David sat at a breakfast in Boise, Idaho. He was sitting with eight guys who were part of his small group, and he said to them, I've got to tell you that when I travel for business, sometimes I watch porn in the hotel room. Marcy came to my Sacramento office and sat down and seemed to be happily married, but she said, we're in turmoil because I have a sexual addiction. I sat with Bob at a diner, and as we're eating breakfast at the counter, he said to me, most people don't know this, but I am a functioning alcoholic and I can't stop. Pam and I sat with some friends in a central Oregon resort and I told them that 
I had really messed up our marriage. You say, man, confession is really painful. No. Failure is really painful. Confession is healing. The Holy Scriptures you've just heard from those that were on the screen come from the broken heart of the king of Israel, David. He had committed adultery and impregnated the woman. And then in in hopes of manipulating his way out of it, he tried to bring her husband back from warfare and convince him somehow that he had impregnated her and it didn't work. So then he sent this warrior back to the warfare, told the general to put him on the front lines, and then when he was on the front lines near the enemy, to pull back. And that's exactly what they did, and the lady's husband was killed. Really, murdered. He tried to hide this whole thing for almost 365 days until God sent a spokesperson, a prophet, who exploded the cover-up. It is then out of this broken heart of sorrow, this torn up heart, that we receive the words we know as Psalm 32. So what do we do with our failure? See, we fear that that if if you know about my failure, if my friends know about my failure, they're not going to be my friends anymore. If the community of faith knows about my failure then they won't respect me anymore. If I have to admit that I have failed, what will it do with my self-valuing? What will happen to my reputation? Will I be isolated? Will I be ostracized? Our faith tradition here does not use a confessional. But I am just wondering if somehow we have missed one of the most important expressions of the Christian faith, which is the confession, because we seem to want to carry with us a dumpster full of fear and guilt and don't know what to do with it. That God has given us this way to remove this dumpster and even take out the garbage every day. And that is what David focuses on as he expresses this song in Psalm 32. And he says, I want to tell you the promise of confession. And so he begins immediately by expressing what that is, and he simply tells us that there is blessing in forgiveness. See, what will God do with this confession? What will happen to me if I confess to you? Because you know that somewhere in your past when you were in middle school and you snuck out and you did the thing you weren't supposed to do and you felt really guilty and you went to your parents and you confessed it to them, they grounded you for 500 years. And you think, man, what would God do to me? Well, you don't think he already knows? When our daughter Christy was a junior in high school, she was, we suspected she was doing some things that she wasn't supposed to be doing, but, and we had this sense as parents, and, and, and you know that when you grew up, your parents seemed to just know things. And we used to tell our kids, God's going to tell us everything. 
And, and, and so he, he would tell us some things. And so we had these suspicions, and, but we couldn't, we couldn't nail it down. And we'd start to suggest things. You go, oh, Dad, just, just, everything's fine. And so it was Christmas season, and she was going to fly out with some friends, and they were going to go see some of our close friends from long ago back in California. And so they flew out to California. And that's just before she left. She took everything from her backpack, stuck it in a pack sun bag, a, a retail bag, and threw it under her bed. Well, in that backpack were some cookies or some kind of sweets, and she'd thrown them in the bag with that. And, and our dog, Cooper the Demon Dog, remember Cooper the Demon Dog? He smelled it. He went in there, and I walked in, and there was just a mess in the room, and she, he had torn open the bag. And, and Christy had had a bunch of notes in the bag, and, and, and I started to pick the stuff up, and I noticed some writing. And so then I began reading the notes, and the notes, in essence, were back and forth between Christy and her friends, which really confessed everything we had suspected was happening. So Pam and I sat there, read through the stuff, said we're going to have to confront her. And, and, and we already had forgiveness in our hearts, but, but we needed her to confess this. So she goes off to California, and this whole thing, she knows she's been messing up, and this whole thing is weighing down on her. It so severely crimps her, her, her Christmas holiday, she finally goes to one of our friends and confesses to them because she can't stand it anymore. She's having a miserable time. She finally confesses to them and heads back home to confess to us. Now, the shame in all of that is we had already forgiven her, but she still carried the weight of that unconfessed activity. So she came home, and she began to confess, and we said, we know all about it. We began to tell her the stuff we knew. She said, how did you know? We said, God told us. (laughs) He used Cooper, but he told us. And you know that for about... Ten years, she had no idea how we knew. We finally told her. It's a good thing the dog was already dead. (laughs) We carry this stuff, and we don't have to. So, So when the prophet comes to David to say, God knows who you're trying to fool, it's not because he wants to punish him, because he wants to release him. It is in response to that that David begins in Psalm 32, and he says this. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin in the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. So what is God going to do with your garbage when you confess it? Is he going to just take that garbage and beat you over the head and say, I told you not to cheat on your expense account, and now you've lost your family. Ooh, you're a bad person. Die! Is that what he's going to do? David said, I've come to him, and I know that it's been horrible. This guy who has, has seduced, impregnated, manipulated, murdered, and covered up, comes to God, and he simply says, I confess to you what I've done. And he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. He says, in rebellion and in disloyalty, there is a carrying away. Now understand that David, David was the runt of the litter. He was the the, the young kid. He was the one who was assigned by tradition to take care of the sheep, and that was to be his job forever. A no-name guy on the back hills of Bethlehem, and there forever he would be, and no one would know who he was, and God pulls him out of that and makes him the Bible's only trifecta, prophet, king. And priest. And David knows how, how wonderful that is and what, what, what a, a blessing that is to him. 
and yet it's not good enough. So he steals another man's wife and has the husband murdered. Transgressions mean disloyalty and rebellion. And that is what David found himself in. And he comes to this one, Jehovah God, and says, I confess to you, this is how I am. And he says the most remarkable thing happens. He says, I am forgiven. And the word that he uses there is a picture word for us to understand. It is the picture of the Day of Atonement. When the high priest takes all the sins of the nation and comes out to a goat and places his hands on the goat's head and imparts all the sins of the nation on that goat, the goat is led out into the wilderness where you will never see the goat or the sins ever again because he's led out there to die. And your sins die in the body of that goat. And John the Baptist, standing by the Jordan, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That while he hung on the cross in anticipation of our confession, he said, you will take your sins and you will impart them upon me. And they will never come back to you again because they will die in my body when I die. So think of your most horrific sin. When you confess, it is placed on this scapegoat, never to be seen again. So why do you fear confession? David said, in missing God's directive, there is covering. David knew what God had said about adultery. He knew what he said about murder. But he didn't go toward it. He, he did an end around. He went around it. He just, doesn't know what he's thinking, but he just, he just goes by it. He says, when you sin, it means missing the mark, missing the directive that God gave. He said, I, I did that. I missed it. See, we knew what we were doing when we did the wrong thing. We knew it. And why would God forgive us? But he said, there is this covering of this Missing of the directive. So Pam and I were on an airplane years back. And it was so many years back, they actually used to give us food on an airplane. Remember those? That's how far back it was. So we're seated next to each other, and, and she orders some kind of beef that has a burgundy sauce, and I had some kind of chicken thing, and, and I'm enjoying mine, and she's enjoying hers, and she said, oh, this is really good. She said, you want some? No. You want some? No. It's really good. You should have some. You know how moms are. If they enjoy it, everybody else should enjoy it. No, I don't want any. Well, with, without me realizing it, she cuts a piece, dips it in the gravy, starts to bring it over, and then the plane has a bump, and the meat jumps off the fork, comes down between the trays, and lands on my white pants. She goes, oh, did I do that? So now she wants to clean it up. She wants to cover up, so she takes her napkin and starts rubbing the burgundy sauce on my white pants. It just spreads. Now I have Latin America all over my pants. You can just, just the shape, the continent is there. I said, what am I going to do? So we, we, we get this stuff cleaned up as best we can. I said, it's horrible. There's a big blotch right here. I'm like, what am I going to do? So she says, look, when we go out, walk really close to me. Nobody will notice. 
So we start out the plane, and we just kind of got the same step thing going here. And she's right. Nobody notices the stain. They just notice this beautiful blonde. She said, see, it worked. David says, here's, here's the deal. It happens. When I've got this stain, there is this thing that happens that God takes care of it. And, in the, and when Jesus came, here's, here's what Paul said Jesus did. That when we got with Jesus, he confessed our sins. He took our stain because we're so close to him and put it on him. And we took who Jesus is, his beauty, and put it on as a garment because we are so close to him. So that when people see us walking, they don't see our stain, but they see the beauty of Jesus. When I cover up, I make the stain worse. When God covers, all you see is the beauty of Jesus. When I cover up, it's painful. When God covers, it's healing. So why would you want to not confess? You say, but I've done this before. I've, I've, done, I've done this sin thing before, and, and so God's ticked off at me, and so I've just run out of, out of favor. I, why, why should I even go confess anymore? Because I've done this before. How many of you in this place are not Italian? Okay. You ever eaten at somebody's house who's Italian, really Italian, and they eat like Italians? It is an incredible experience. Because you sit down, and the first thing they bring you is pasta, and you think it's the main course. And you just, you just you eat it all up, and then you realize that's just the first. That's just the beginning. Now they're bringing more stuff. And so, and especially if it's an Italian mama, she's just bringing the stuff. She keeps bringing it and bringing it. And you finally go, no, no, no. I've, I've, had, I've had three helpings. But you see, she doesn't care. <laughs> she's got a lot more back there, and nobody's counting. David said, what I've discovered is this, that a conscience evil in a conscious evil, there is no counting. That sin means I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. And he said there is no counting. That when God comes to... See, here's our problem. We say, I, I can't be forgiven. The reason we don't feel forgiven is because somehow we say, we've had three helpings of mercy. God won't give us any more. And God says, who's counting? And I got a whole lot more mercy back here. So here's the deal. When you come and confess to him, you can't get partially forgiven or you can't say, well, if you can put me in your good graces because I've done this before. He said, look, I got so much back here like an Italian mama. Here, there's so much more mercy and I don't care how many helpings of mercy you've had, I got a lot more. So when he heaps mercy on your plate, eat it. Take it in. But that comes with a warning because you can't fool him. Because if you have no intention of obeying him after the forgiveness, then there is no forgiveness. If there is not a heart connected to the confession, there is no forgiveness. If I think that I'm just going to confess 
and then keep doing what I'm doing, then I have just used my confession as my cover-up. Here, we'll just cover that, and I can go keep doing my deal. You can't do that. Because His mercy will not allow you to go that far. I want to show you a picture. It's an amazing picture, and hopefully you can see it on the screen and get a clarity of it. Okay, so you see a group of people standing here to the right. That truck came barreling down that, that road. It's, it's, uh, I think it's Highway 100 outside Flagstaff, Arizona. At 75 miles per hour, lost control, went through the guardrail, went end over end, hit the far side of the culvert, flipped over the culvert, and landed on its wheels. The 22-year-old driver and the 17-year-old passenger only had slight injuries. Now, that's mercy. See, you know that you've been out of control and you've been tumbling over and somehow you landed on your wheels and you said, wow, that has got to be God's mercy. But here's the danger. The danger is that we look at that and go, you know, that didn't hurt so bad. I could probably do that again and it still won't hurt so bad. But we have no idea how far we would have fallen without that mercy. That is why Jesus sent a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he said, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have gone away from his mercy. You've gone away from his grace. You've gone away from what he desires. It's been in your mind to just kind of leave. He said, look at how far you have fallen. Go back to the way you were before when you confessed and stayed with me. Because if you don't, I will move your candlestick, which means I will let your life dissolve so that it's no longer there. And history says that they paid no attention and the church at Ephesus eventually died. So let me just be really clear. That if I think that I can take hold of his mercy and play it for all it's worth, understand that mercy will not always be there. And you will end up falling farther than you ever thought you'd fall. Let me just give you the big picture. Let's look at this picture one more time. You want to go through the guardrail again? You think you'll stop in the same place? God warns us. I will cover you with my mercy, but you need to have a heart that is not deceitful and devious. That's why he said, blessed are you in that forgiveness. Bottom line is that there's pain and cover-up. So let's be honest about this. I, I once was in rebellion against God, and God sent a woman who had a prophetic voice. And she came to me, and she said, what about this? And she named the deal. I lied. I said, no, nah, there's nothing going on there. Because I was so afraid of what my confession would do, what my failure would present to my friends. And you know what I did? 
I begin to do more things for God to cover up my guilt. But the time came eventually that I began to realize that the presence of God was leaving me. That what I thought I was doing well for God began to disintegrate. And I had this paranoia that somehow God was going to tell somebody and it would become public. And I was fearful. I went to a meeting. You remember David Wilkerson who recently died? The guy was an incredible prophetic voice. And I was in a meeting and I just knew for sure he was going to stand up on the platform and go, Jack Reisner! You! And tell everybody. David understands that feeling for here's what he said, Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, 24-7. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, the thing that we've silenced is the thing that's killing us. When he talks about the bones, and he said they're wasting away, it it signifies in the scripture to have a meaningless and a hopeless life because you're not connected to God. He said that, that, that it's like walking in heat and not having anything to drink, and it's just zapping you. What's happening is that when we cover, when we cover ourselves, then God chastens us. And that simply means this. He's not out to punish us, but he lets the reality of our sin begin to weigh down on us. We begin to feel the weight of that sin. Because sin is heavy. It destroys. It eats away. You cannot continue to sin and think that you'll stay healthy. You can't. He does that. He lets it lay on us. He lets us be chastened for this reason. He wants us to confess soon. And hear me clearly. Because the longer we rebel the more difficulty we will have after our forgiveness. Let me say it again. The more we rebel, the longer we rebel, the more difficulty we will have after the forgiveness. You see, you say, no, he forgives and everything's good. No, 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 no. See, David should have, the moment he committed adultery, confessed it and said, God, I'm so sorry. But you see, unconfessed sin attracts other sin. And it grows. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, God in his grace does forgive us when we sincerely confess our sins, but God in his government must permit us to reap what we have sown. And let me tell you, David reaped what he had sown. The baby that woman carried died. Another son, Absalom, tried to rip the throne from David. Another son, Amnon, raped a a half-sister, And when Absalom found out, he killed Amnon, and eventually Absalom died. Confession is not just excusing sin and looking for a way not to feel the consequences. Unconfession, non-confession, is not static. It just doesn't sit there. It attracts other evil in it. And when that happens, our protection wastes away cover-up is painful. But David said, when I confessed, I discovered this. 
there is protection in God's restoration. So we confess. He forgives. So how long does it take us to get back into his graces? And you know this. You've, 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 you've put it off, you put it off, you confess, and you say, okay, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. And then everybody else seems to be having a great time with God, and we stand way over here. Say, okay, God, I just, I just, I'll stay here because I know. I know I messed up. I want to be over there with you, but I'm just, I've messed up horribly. And so I just, I'll stay here because I deserve to be here. And God puts on flesh to come tell us a story. So, so what should you do after you confess? I'll tell you what you do. So he tells a story of the son who rebelled against the father. The rebellion was so intense that if they ever found the kid, they were going to stone him. That's what the law said. He messes up his life and says, okay, I can go back home and at least be a servant. I'll, I'll risk it. He comes back home, and they don't stone him. Instead, the father runs to him and embraces him and says, party. Let's party. David said, I've experienced that. For Psalm 32, 6 says, Therefore, let everyone who was godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you and circle watch over you. We're going to come back to that. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. You know, after we messed up and we come back to God and we confess, we don't feel very godly. And he says, but you're godly. That word actually comes from a, a related word meaning mercy and loving kindness. It means that when you've experienced mercy and loving kindness of God as you confess, then come to him and pray, which means move into intimacy with him and do not hesitate. Get to him quickly. That's why he forgave you so that you could be with him, not so that you could stand outside the circle. He says, move in close to our deliverer. And don't stand on the outside circle. Hear me clearly. Some of you have stood on the outside circle because you know you've done wrong. It's been a horrible thing. You've asked forgiveness. But you still stand out there because you think, how could God take me back? And God says, get to me because that's where your protection is. That's where your care is. That's why I've forgiven you in the first place. Run to me and come back home. Don't stay out there. You say, even if I messed up today and I've asked him for forgiveness, I can just run right back to him? Yeah, but make sure the heart's clear. Because he knows if you're messing around. He knows if you're fooling. But if the heart's clear, he says, come, be with me. That's why Jude 21 says, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our master, Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. He said, when you've confessed, come to him with arms wide open. As a child is running to his father, let him embrace you, and you will begin to sing songs of deliverance. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. And you sing it because you feel it and you've experienced it. Plant yourself right next to him. He says, don't, 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 don't be like the mule and don't be like the horse. The horse will take off and do its own thing and they've got to bridle that thing to bring it back and the mule you've got to drag to get where you want it to go. He said, I'm not going to treat you that way. I'm not going to bridle you. I'm not going to drag you. But what I want you to do is get close enough to me. And God says, I will guide you 
And the actual translation of watch over you is on you my eye. I will keep my eye on you. And I will guard you with my eye. I mean, it's the difference between a basketball team and a baseball team. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll talk to, you'll hear these guys interviewed in a basketball team, and, and one guy will say, yeah, I looked over to uh, that player, and he just kind of gave me the eye, and I knew I should go up, and he's going to lob it to me, I'm going to put it in. Because there's just an eye connection. They're, why does it work? Because they're close enough. Baseball team, you've got the manager doing all sorts of weird stuff with his hands because they can't see his eyes. So if I want to be directed by someone by their eyes, I'm not going to try to find somebody in the balcony because I can't, I can't see your eyes. I've got to get down close to somebody. God says, I want to direct you with my eyes, and to do that, you've got to get close to me because of this reason. I want you close enough so that I can protect you. I want you to confess and come running to me and get close to me so that I can be your protection. One of the Psalms describes what that protection is like, Psalm 91.4. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. So have you confessed your failures? Have you boldly moved in next to him? We have a picture of that, what he promises he'll do for you. Look at this. He said, I'm going to come and I'm just going to cover you up. I'm going to be your protection because that's what your confession has brought you to this spot. He will cover us when we quit covering our failures. And so David ends this way. Psalm 32, 11. Celebrate God. Sing together, everyone, all you honest hearts, raise the roof. Tony Campalo's got this great story. He, he went to a church. Tony Campalo's a, a follower of Jesus. He's a sociologist, and, and he's a radical thinker. And he, so he goes to this, this church that's a very traditional, stoic, staid church. But something remarkable has been happening. Some young adults have been understanding this whole thing with Jesus and confessing their sins and finding it released, finding it covered, finding it carried away, finding it not counted any longer. And they are just, they're buzzed, they're excited. And so there's been this movement of young people suddenly discovering this forgiveness in who Jesus is. So they've invited him to this church, and so he goes into this very stoic state church. And so he says, I want all of you that, have just, that are confessing that, that you're, you've sinned and allowing Jesus to cleanse you, and, and I want you to just come down here and make a public, public profession of your faith because that's one of the things that Jesus said we should do. He said, if you're ashamed of me on earth, I'll be ashamed of you in heaven, so it's got to be a public thing. So in this, this very traditional church, these young people start getting up to move to the front to declare their confession. And as they do, their friends start going, Yeah! Woo! Woo! Start whistling. The place just erupts. The old folks are going, huh? What? But these guys, they're just pumped. They're raising the rough. They're celebrating. Because you see, in the kingdom of God, confession does not get you disrespect. Confession gets you celebration. Because you have just had a life change. Some of you just woke up. (laughs) See, that's truly the atmosphere when we quit covering up. 
when we stop covering, we start healing. So shouldn't there be a celebration when we're coming home? Shouldn't there be a celebration that he's covering us? Shouldn't there be a celebration that, that he's carried it away and we'll never see it again? Shouldn't there be a celebration that his mercy just keeps pouring on us and he's not counting? Should that not be our celebration and the thing that marks us in this life? Absolutely. So here's how we're concluding this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask who of you in this place, whether you say you are a follower of Jesus or want to be a follower of Jesus, this morning you say, i got to confess some stuff. I'm not going to ask you to come here and tell me what it is. But I want you to make a public declaration that you are confessing today to Jesus and asking for the forgiveness of your transgressions, that he is going to carry it away. You're asking for a covering of those mismovements and you lost God's direction, and that he's not counting even those things you knew you were doing wrong. He's forgiving you today. And then we're going to have a corporate prayer together, and we're going to celebrate, as Psalmist David said, we're going to celebrate what God has done. So I'm going to invite you in just a moment. I'm going to have the band come up with you, and they're going to get in place, and we're going to sing as we end. So band, come on. And everybody, I'm going to tell you to stand in a moment, but don't go out the back. You've got time to get to your restaurant. This is an important moment. But everybody just stand. And the people around you will make room for you. But I just want you to be bold enough to say, if Jesus did that for me, then I'm confessing today that I need him and I'm going to empty out all this stuff that I've been carrying. And even as, as I was speaking, you're thinking, that's me, that's me, that's me. And that you will seal the deal today. And so if that's you, whether you say, I've been a believer for 55 years, but I've been covering stuff, or, hey, I had no idea all this was real and, and now I want to go for it. I want to be right here with you because today I'm with you. I'm right here because I got faults and I got to deal with them and so without even any music playing sometimes we, we want that, that movie music to get us where we need to go just come right now if you're saying that's me just come stand by me come on that's it come stand that's it got time. Come on. So as you're coming, what you've heard today it's called the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. And the Scripture tells us that those words are God-breathed. So as you believe these, the breath of God is blowing into you right now. And this is a turning point for you. We call this sometimes the altar, the place where we come to let go of stuff and where we come to su surrender. Today, will you surrender the stuff you've carried 
and believe what he said. And, and when that voice comes back to you and says, you haven't been forgiven, you haven't taken, you just say, no, I confessed. I confessed, I confessed, I confessed. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, your confession is not a feeling, it's a fact. The feeling will come later. But then you just got to begin to say, it's true. Go back to Psalm 32 this week and read it over and over again because this is what I declare over you. Blessed are you whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are you whose sin the Lord does not count against you and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So I pray over you now that that which you have confessed in your heart at this moment, you will now understand that he who is the Lamb of God has carried it away. It's not coming back. And you've, you've gone over this, over this again, but his mercy is new every morning. And his mercy does not count all your transgressions. And he is covering you with himself so that he sees you as clean and as pure. For that is his word. You are set free. Do not return back to that old life, the old voice, the old lies, the old pattern. You are a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You are changed now. I speak it by the authority given to me as a shepherd of his flock. You are forgiven and set free. Now walk in that freedom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So be it. Now, I want to just say this before we sing a declaration. I just want to say to you that if, that if this is your beginning of a journey of walking in this relationship with Jesus. We need you just to hang here after we sing. And Pastor Jason is right there. He's going to have some stuff for you and some folks are going to have a gift for you to help you in this journey. And so don't go until they, they connect with you. Pastor Jason, just come up here so they know who you are. He'll just stand by that piano and sing really loud with the rest of us. And when we're done, he's going to make sure that you're taken care of. So just gather right down here by him and he'll make sure you're, you're cared for. Mark, lead us in an expression, would you? Thirsty hearts again. You'll come. 
So now may you journey in the truth of his word. May you move close to him this week and may your heart be filled with songs of deliverance. For he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.